is Pastor Dan, and I'm joined by my daughter Bethany, and we're doing this weekly visit to the virtual church classroom at Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. And I'm really glad that you're joining us again as we gather together in the same spirit as a typical Sunday school class or even an evening Bible study. You can call it whatever you want. It's just the thing that churches do, except it's all in the worldwide web and up in the cloud. And uh, it's good that we talk about ethereal things while we're visiting together in the cloud. This is episode 21 of the Mere Christianity Bible study, a book study rather. And we are on book three, Christian Behavior, chapter 10, Hope. And this episode is being recorded on August 11th at 5.20 p.m. All right, Bethany, so we're at book three, chapter 10 now, and the topic is hope. So hope is the next of the theological virtues. So what does C.S. Lewis say hope is? Well, he says that we're supposed to be looking ahead to the eternal world, and that's what hope is, which I think is pretty interesting because, and he mentions that some people say this, but there are people out there that I have heard say that that Christians have their head literally in the clouds and aren't, wow. yeah, like you just said. And I just said yeah. all that. Hmm. Um, and don't focus on earthly concerns, earthly issues, but he points out that that's the whole point of the virtue of hope, mm -hmm. is to look forward to the next world. It's not wishful thinking. We're supposed to be fixing our eyes on heaven and our thoughts on heaven. So is it safe to say that uh, hope isn't, according to Jack, hopeful or wishful thinking? Right. It's not escapism. It's not wishful thinking. And he points out really beautifully that the people who do the most, if you look at history, the people who have done the most for the world we live in are the ones who have their minds most firmly fixed on heaven. You know, I read something along those lines several years ago, and it's really shaped me in certain ways because um, it's true. The most famous Christians, if that isn't something that sort of cancels itself out, right. because, but the best known, uh, you know, world changers in Christian history, uh, you know, the the John Wesleys, you know, the people like that, they they are people that when you read their work and listen to them are always fixed on heaven. They're always thinking about heaven, and it isn't the hope of dying and going to heaven that's not what they're fixed on they're not fixated on getting ready to be in heaven when they die which is what the critics would assume mm -hmm. they're doing that's it's it's foolish to to assume that that it's so simple and trite um they're fixed on kingdom matters they're fixed on worshiping god in the present and they do that because they believe they're under the authority of the kingdom of heaven and not under the authority of the kingdoms of the world. And, and I think that makes all the difference. Mm -hmm. And uh, and people just don't really understand that. 
Well, one of my, um, going along with this, I guess, kind of, one of my favorite songs, which I can't think of the name of, it's a popular Christian song that came out a few years ago, and I kind of made it my, there's a line in it that I kind of made my mantra being a Christian counselor in a school Mm -hmm. that is a public school, which means I can't just openly express that. But there's a song that says, um, God put a million doors in the world for his love to walk through. And one of those doors is you. But then they also say, with every act of love, we bring the kingdom come. And I think that's the whole point of hope is that we are on earth. We're present. We're going to do things. But we always are supposed to have the kingdom in mind and bringing the kingdom to earth. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's not it's not it's not like you said, just hoping you get to heaven when you die. So thinking Mm -hmm. about that. That's not the point of this. Well, and, uh, you know, I've been reading some stuff lately that's really, you know, ramping up my understanding of these things. And, and, you know, it's really important to understand that changing the world isn't our job, per se. It's not how we go about trying to create justice and righteousness among the nations you know it's not about how we do that it's not about us using our kingdom virtues and our kingdom uh uh comprehension our our desire to to bring about the kingdom of god that we're not trying when we say we're trying to make disciples of jesus christ for the transformation of the world we really don't mean that we're going to create an organization that changes the world Although I believe a lot of people sort of uh, assent to that idea, that that they think that the idea is to to outnumber the evildoers or something and change the world. Mm -hmm. I I think I was preaching about this a couple of weeks ago because I said, I said, you know, on one hand, Jesus is heading up to Jerusalem. And he's got his Galilean friends who are saying, "Sure, we'll whip up, up, we'll whip up on him with some great miracle power." And the Samaritan friends are saying, "Wait until we've gotten a big enough army together, and we'll get them that way." And and the reality is, Jesus says that neither one is is how I do things. You know, mm-hmm. he's really saying we change the world simply by having a majority of the people submission in total submission to Christ and then in doing that we're living out the kingdom reign of Christ mm-hmm. by simply being kingdom people yeah you know so anyway all right so so how then is hope for the eternal world connected or related to our present world well I think we kind of just said that yeah I mean he has a great line where he says if you aim at heaven you tend to get earth thrown in but if you aim at earth, you're not going to achieve either. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. That is really good. Okay, so what are two reasons many of us find it difficult to want heaven? Well, he says we haven't been trained um, because even our Christian education has maybe sometimes taught us to fix our minds on this world, which I think we kind of just said again we t- we even do that as a church sometimes um and then he says the other thing is is that we don't always necessarily recognize it mm-hmm. so we want it but we don't know what we're looking for right and so we don't see it when it's there 
Yeah, I I think, and, and this is, I think, a uniquely pastoral problem, and it stems from not only my pastoral experience, but I think it also has something to do with my being a pastor who is actually trying to at least manage my own life under kingdom reign of Christ, you know, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. and trying to fulfill my purpose uh, as a pastor in some way or another that helps others at least inch their way closer to that. Not that I'm better than them, but simply to say that, that in the church there's an awful lot of people, and this is what I was getting around to saying, who think about heaven as the place you go when they die and the only time they ever talk about heaven is when the loved one dies mm -hmm. and then they say well at least it's at peace he's with Jesus now and and there are a couple of things that go through my mind and I mean no hurt to anyone who might have said that in my presence I simply question you know how sure are you mm -hmm. that they're in heaven and how sure are you that you know what it takes to be in heaven when you die I mean if that is in fact the thing that you're counting on when you're standing over the casket of a loved one, then don't you think you ought to be more sure about that? Mm. You know, um, and of course I've been around other people who say, well, he was, when he was really young, he, he got baptized and he confessed Christ. So he's good as though the confession, the statement, the praying the sinner's prayer, you know, and in our Catholic upbringing, then, uh, you know, it would have been, well, you know, you were baptized, you received the sacrament every week, you know, you did this, you did that, um, you were confirmed in the faith, you know, therefore it's all been, you know, you've ticked off all the human boxes mm -hmm. that human religion has, has appointed to assure you of eternal salvation. And yet at the end of the day, what I question is, is you know, if that's all we're looking forward to, then I have some concerns about whether we're even going to get that. Yeah. Because if that's the, the pursuit, if that's aiming at heaven, but entirely through the lens of earth, mm -hmm. I don't know. And, but I do and think... I, I beg your forgiveness if I've offended anybody, but I'm simply asking you to think critically about this your very eternal life might depend upon it. But I also think that Lewis kind of points out that that, that longing is probably in most of us. Um, that we just have to really dig into our hearts. Because he's, he talks about how like like when you long to visit a foreign country or you take up a new hobby or interest and it really excites you or even when you fall in love which he's talked about before but like you get married and you feel that that freshness newness of that marriage he and he talked about this with the marriage stuff those feelings like once you visit that country once you've been in that subject a little while that hobby that that first flush of enjoyment excitement fades a little and it's in the reality but that doesn't mean that those things end up being bad they're still wonderful it's just that we have that longing in us mm -hmm. and he says that longing is probably because we know that there's something even more that we haven't yet achieved. So even with what you just said, I think he also gives some really wonderful reassurance that it's in it. Like, it's mm -hmm. in us. We, we do want it. We just have to kind of dig a little deeper than the surface level. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the author of our study says... 
when the real desire is present for heaven is in us when the real desire is present for heaven is in us that's mm. typographically erroneous i think <laughs> we fail to recognize it so when the real desire is in us we can't recognize it sometimes most people if they had really learned to look into their own hearts would know that they do want something that cannot be had in this world yeah and that's straight out of the book yeah there are many things that trigger the longing that never fulfill it and it is like when we first fall in love mm -hmm. as you were just saying so yeah that's that's good so the um regarding that second reason then failing to recognize our real longingness longings for heaven and substituting them with other objects that can never satisfy. Lewis lists three ways we can deal with this. Mm -hmm. Two wrong ways mm -hmm. and one right. So what are they? Well, the wrong, the first wrong one, he says, whoops, I just dropped my water big time. Sorry. No, keep your mouth by that microphone, <laughs> Becky. We'll be disappointed. I know, I'm sorry. I, I knocked my water bottle over. I had to fix it. Hi, Becky. Um, Thanks for listening. Bethany's keeping her mouth close to the microphone. <laughs> Except when I knock my water bottle over. <laughs> so, anyway, um, the fool's way is the first wrong way that he talks about. And um, I see this not just in this application, but just in certain kinds of people in general. That, that the fool is the person who blames his his or her dissatisfaction with life mm -hmm. on everyone but themselves and everything but themselves. Um, so like if he's unhappy in his marriage, well, if he had tried with another woman or if he doesn't like the place he visited, then he should have gone somewhere else or bought a more expensive holiday. Um, you know, Jesus says the guard against the temptation <laughs> to say you fool to someone else. Yeah. But I kind of know some people that I want to say to them, uh, you're doing what Jack Lewis says is the fool's way. Yeah. And he says, like, it's the people who we see that are rich, discontented, and bored mm -hmm. that tend to be like this. And they just flip from one thing to the other looking for whatever that next high is, that next awesome thing. Um, and they're always disappointed because it's never, the, the high never lasts. You know, I heard something gritty and real and absolutely correct this week that really I'm not, I'm just beginning to flesh it out and it's going to probably reappear in my, you know, pastoral Christian journey. Uh, someone said, if you look at what Adam and Eve were tempted with, um, basically it was, um, temptation of the mind, a temptation of the gut and a temptation of the, uh, lower extremities. It, it, it was, like I said, it was very guttural, but it was basically Satan rules the world and the way of the world is all about those three things, mm -hmm. fill in your stomach pleasing your eyes mm -hmm. and that sort of satisfies your your like the mind is the source of pride the eyes are the source of that 
lower instinct. Well, and if you go back to the Pride chapter, you can apply that to Adam and Eve, too, because it talked about how the devil is sneaky and he will... He'll get to you through lesser Mm -hmm. sins, like... Well, so he presents it to he presents the forbidden fruit to Eve, and he says, "Look, see how beautiful it is." Mm -hmm. And then he says, "Taste, see how it Mm -hmm. satisfies." And then he says, "You know, basically, uh, did God really say?" Right. You know. So he starts out small and works his way, and 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 it's like what Lewis said that Satan is laughing when we. Attempt to do better with certain sins and allow pride in. You know what's really that, fascinating? You know? When Satan tempted Jesus, he tempted him with the same three things. They, he tempted uh, his stomach. Mm-hmm. He tempted his um, desires. Mm-hmm. And then he tempted his uh, pride. You know, and it's exactly what did get through to Adam and Eve, but Jesus didn't take the bait. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I think it's all. So this is the fool's way. Yeah. The fool's way is to take Satan's bait that is dangled before him. You know, I was uh, I was out fishing the other day and and I, you know, I've never quite remembered exactly how it was put by the certain comedian. But but I just had to laugh because, you know, you can call it fishing if you want, but it's really all about trying to trick a fish. <laughs> into biting your hook and you know that's what you're doing you're going out there trying to outsmart a fish Mm -hmm. you know and and there's nothing wrong with that i mean it's great fun i mean it can't be any worse than chasing a little white ball around on a grassy green somewhere and and a variety of other hobbies that people have but at the end of the day you know fishing i i can relate so many things to scripture because it's not fishing with nets like jesus's disciples did the kind of fishing i do is tricking fish and trying to get them to bite your hook and then you reel them in and consume them you know or in my case most of the time i catch and release but Mm -hmm. even then they've had a traumatic experience they won't soon forget uh except for the fact that some people say that fish have very short memories so maybe they will soon forget I don't know. That's neither here nor there. It's just interesting because Satan's out there. You know, Jesus said he's like a lion roaring all the time, and and all of that's true. But what's really interesting is is that he's like a really crafty fisherman who's out there, Mm -hmm. you know, dropping lures and trying to catch you. And, and, you know, uh, the water was kind of muddy the other day, so it occurred to me that a brightly colored lure would probably be more enticing to the fish because it would be easier for them to spot in the murk um i did get a pretty strong hit when i did that but that guy was smarter than that because he he hit it and then realized that it tasted not like something real and he let go before i had a chance to hook him but isn't it interesting Mm -hmm. you know the eyes um (laughs) It's fascinating to realize that the eyes are far more likely to cause you to sin than the ears, Mm -hmm. Um, which I heard something the other day from a certain rabbi that I really like that you're not so sure yet whether you like him, right? We just disagree on some things. But you know what he said that's really fascinating? He said if you look at uh, the statistics, 
conservative talk shows on the radio are ruling the airwaves and radio is a very conservative majority wise uh, run business but if you look at the visual arts if you look at television and movies those people are predominantly more liberal in their political orientation and he said it's just it's just really interesting that those things that appeal to the eye the more liberal-minded people really have a lot of control over but they can't break into the audio market because in the audio market we think we use our brains to interpret what we're hearing and we visualize it. it. It's like even if you're just listening to an audio drama of some kind. I love listening to old time radio, as you know. And I can picture these people, and I can picture this. We were we were watching a movie last night on Turner Classics that we kind of tuned into the end of it. And I never said this to you, but the the house that the the doctor character lived in. I decided was probably what the Great Gildersleeve's house looked like because whenever I've listened to the Great Gildersleeve, and that's been for years and years and years now, I've been mm -hmm. listening to, ever since I'm at broadband, I listened to uh, old time radio, which has been you know well over 20 years now, and and I've always imagined the Great Gildersleeve's house being this old Victorian house with two two uh, uh, swinging spring loaded uh, uh, screen doors and. You know, and every time Leroy comes running in the house, you hear the door go e -e -e, crash, right? You know, and 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 I just I I saw it last night in that movie. I thought there it is. And speaking of that movie, mm -hmm. there was a scene where the doctor, who had become this decadent, uh, living for the flesh guy, who really resented his next door neighbor that he grew up with, whose daddy was the preacher, mm -hmm. and he told her that. He didn't care about all that weird ethereal stuff that she was all about with her religion and all that. Mm -hmm. He was just interested in eating good things, uh, experiencing wonderful adventures. And, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember how I phrased it. But I listened to him say that and I thought, oh my gosh, that is exactly the phrase. This movie from 1961, uh, the movie was called... Uh, Smoke and oh, mm, well anyway, summer, sm summer, smoke and summer, or something like or that, or summer and smoke, or maybe something like maybe that. summer and smoke. Um, I don't know. It was it was really uh, just um, I'm I'm now I'm obsessed and I have to talk about it. Summer and smoke is what it was called. Geraldine Page was the actress. It was Rita Moreno was yeah, in Rita it. Yeah, Rita Moreno was in it. And and. Uh, this this is really it was just a, a a really fascinating movie and some of the finest acting I've ever seen. But Did the they point say it was a Tennessee Williams. It's Tennessee Williams. Yeah. yeah. So that doesn't surprise me that there were elements of that kind of conversation in mm -hmm. it because that's very Tennessee Williams. Yeah, and actually it was very raw in in certain ways. It's very raw, you know he because he he is but he basically said exactly what I was just talking about. He said. Honey, I don't want your religion mm -hmm. because it doesn't let me have what I want to eat. It doesn't let me have what I see. It doesn't let me uh, satisfy my need to be important. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, he said that. Yeah. And I just thought, holy smokes. I just read that the day before. And I just, and, and you know, I said it was kind of raw the way that it was referred to in this book. There's a scene because he's a doctor where he has the, the human anatomy chart. 
and he says to this woman while he's explaining his needs to her he points at the brain the stomach and then he gestures below and the camera neatly changes so you don't see what he's gesturing mm-hmm. at but you get the point mm-hmm. and i'm just thinking gosh that is like wow you know and and there's something to think about there and and friends if this sounds a little crude just consider the fact that the human condition uh you know especially the religious condition um if if it's troubling for you to meet for me to talk that way on our christian podcast then guess what you might be struggling with legalism because you're saying that doesn't fit with the way I think pastors ought to talk with mm-hmm. their daughters on radio programs. And yet, the, and I don't mean, gosh, don't be mad at me. I'm just trying to make a point. And then, but it, but it also reminds us that uh, being Christian doesn't make it okay for you to just go for everything. Like, like, well, I can't, you know, I'm forgiven. So what difference does it make mm-hmm. whether I indulge every whim? No, it's, it's about subjecting your flesh to Christ rather than to yourself Mm -hmm. and when you do that you're not subjecting your flesh to the rules of other fleshly beings other men and women and you're not subjecting yourself to your flesh so you're either worshiping a system which is legalism or you're worshiping yourself which is libertinism basically and so just take that and run with it let's get back to the book okay i'm sorry what's the second way that's wrong uh, he talks about the disillusioned man who he calls a sensible man, but he's disillusioned because he like he just gets to the point where he says, oh, you know, it was like it's nice to think that there's something so great ahead. But I've given up on all that. That's childish thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he like lives comfortably in his own thought and some people probably would consider this person kind of a prig mm-hmm. um but he like he for the most part is pretty comfortable the problem is that like he because he's comfortable he kind of loses track of the fact that there is something good to look forward to i love this lewis says he decides that it's all sort of transcendent and therefore it's somehow moonshine yeah. and rainbow chasing. It's moonshine and rainbow chasing. <laughs> chasing that rainbow's end, yeah. Yeah, I love it. And so they just don't expect much. And, and boy, I, I think there's plenty of that around, too, even in churches. So finally, there's the Christian way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the Christians say that... Um, if we're born with certain desires, like we shouldn't, we wouldn't be born with certain desires if satisfaction of those things wasn't in existence too. Right. Um, so like when a baby's born, it's hungry. Well, that desire is fulfilled by food, Mm -hmm. by mother's milk. Um, like, all like he you know he mentions like a a duckling wanting to swim guess what there's water there's a pond it can swim Mm -hmm. so just the things that we feel including this longing for heaven there like if we feel that that's probably because we're meant to have that satisfied um so he says like if if you have a desire that no experience in the world this world can fulfill then the logical explanation is that it's 
a desire for another world. Mm-hmm. Um, which kind of goes back to you saying, you know, Mr. Spock might actually be able to be converted because this is super logical. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was this, this week I was also absorbing some other learning along these lines. And, and uh, it's really remarkable because I'm hearing in my mind the voice of a person who, um, you know, was very devout, but dare, dare I say, a very legalistic, systematic you know Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember her saying one time to me that she was really glad that there will be no marrying in heaven you know or there won't be any married couples in heaven because you know a lifetime with me will be about as all all her husband could take yada 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 and I, I was thinking you know I've never been convinced that that's true and some of the learning I just recently obtained was 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 uh along the lines of that doesn't that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the angels don't do that. Angels weren't designed to be in those kinds of relationships with each other, but we were. Um, this thing is really fascinating because it goes on to say that maybe one of the reasons Lucifer fell, and no one can say for sure because the scripture doesn't mm-hmm. say it, but perhaps one of the most significant reasons that Lucifer fell from grace was because he was jealous of God's creation of the human beings. Because God had a plan for the human beings that put them, you know, it put the angels in a certain place, but it left them superior to us in certain ways, but not as complete as us in others. And so this learning, you know, has inspired me to think, yeah, that gives more justification to the ancient Jewish tradition of marriage being something that doesn't just last during this lifetime, you know, that that the bond of marriage that Christ creates you know and that's why the whole concept of christian marriage or even in jewish tradition that that, you know a marriage that is created in the in the presence of god Mm -hmm. you know the whole idea is that that would last for eternity you know and and uh that somehow the two are one in in all time you know it's like wow now if we entered into marriage with that kind of reverence Mm -hmm. you know uh how would that be and and so uh, the whole thing's really remarkable to me yeah but uh but it basically it 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 causes what the Christian way is to, yeah. to sound very appealing to me because the Christian way says there's room for your your uh, you know all of your di- your desires to be fulfilled even in God's perfect order mm-hmm. you know and yet your desires being fulfilled shouldn't sound like a terrible thing to you because that would on the surface sound like Oh, well, that's not heaven. That's like, uh, uh, what am I looking for? The, there's a literary term for it. You know, that's, that's, that's uh, the utopia where you get everything you want without any consequences or whatever. But that's not what it means. It means that, that God planted the desire for a man and a woman to love each other and to have physical intimacy and all that. He put that in us. And that is there, no doubt, because God intends for it to be there. But God's design and the human reality are out of sync right now. So we can only guess at how God Mm -hmm. intends for that to be fulfilled when the world is perfected again. Yeah. But it doesn't. So I'm going along with what uh what Jack says here because I'm saying, look, if he, you know, he's right. If if it exists in our heart, then it's there for a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, If we go and, and, you know, I remember years ago when I was hiking in the North Cascade Mountains in, in Washington State. 
and I remember after being deep in a huge primeval forest with these massive trees that are 25 feet in diameter and hundreds of feet high and, and I broke into a meadow and I stopped and I looked in all this yellow waving grass and to my left is a high snow-capped mountain and to my right is the high snow-capped mountain that I'm walking along the base of and down in the valley ahead of me are more of those mountains but I can see a rolling river just just ice cold you know snow melt water going through it and everything it's just beautiful and and you're even you know anyone who's hearing me say this is going oh it just sounds so beautiful i wish i could have seen that i love a good tree who planted that that natural desire to be in that spot in our hearts Mm -hmm. who who made me just instinctively wish to hike the long hard miles that i had to hike with a heavy pack on my back in order to see that spot mm-hmm. and and you know who puts that ah uh, in your ears and your mind just because you heard me describe that scene you know who puts that there so yes creation is beautiful even though it's flawed and you know i could tell you this isn't true necessarily, but I could tell you that it was the most perfect scene in the world. And then a jet airplane flew over and there was a contrail and you could hear the rumble of its engine. And, and you go, yeah, it's beautiful, but flawed. But what that tells me is, is that everything in perfection, everything in heaven, everything that God will restore the earth to one day is going to be all that yeah. and more. Yeah. Well, and that's like Lewis says, don't, disdain the desires that have been placed in you in this world because they are meant to arouse that deeper desire that can't be fulfilled yet. Yeah. But he also says, recognize it for what it is, which is an echo of what could be. And I think like, you know, we hike together and we talk about that a lot when we're hiking that, that gosh, if this is almost paradise, then Holy cow, what's paradise going to be like? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, um, uh, yeah, and I, I could go on and on, but I, you know, only a couple of years ago, for the first time in my life, um, I actually got to, to experience snorkeling on a coral reef with your mother, mm-hmm. and we were swimming along, and I'm looking down there, and it's like all the movies, you know, the TV shows or whatever, and I, I'm seeing all this sea life down there and it's beautifully lit by the flickering of the sun through the waves and yada yada it's just absolutely gorgeous and i just i just it's like oh my gosh i look beneath the seas and the lord's creative beauty is there Mm -hmm. i look into the mountains and the lord's beautiful creative majestic ability is there i i look on the prairies and i see this this incredible beauty and and it's just it's like man everything god has created is beautiful and everything that man creates is either beautiful or ugly i mean there's not a lot of in between you know it um if it's material and it's intended to meet basic needs then it's not that pretty Mm -hmm. um if it's meant to somehow reach higher than human uh physical needs even the person who doesn't do it for the glory of God gives us a taste of God mm-hmm. because they've created something that's beauty for beauty's sake, mm-hmm. you know, and, and this we call art and architecture and, and, and so forth. And some music isn't beautiful because it's music about the flesh, mm-hmm. but some music is absolutely majestic and withstands the test of times. And we call it Transcends. time. We call it classic. 
Um, we call it classic because it gives us a taste of heaven, mm-hmm. and yet it's just a small taste. We have no idea what the perfect is going to be like. Mm-hmm. But, well, anyway, old old Jack got me going there. <laughs> Last question, what rejoinder does Lewis offer for facetious people who say hoping for heaven is ridiculous because they do not want to spend eternity playing harps. This might be my favorite line in the entire book. And that's saying a lot because he has some really great, really sassy, smart alecky things. (laughs) This is the ultimate, I think. He says, the answer to such people is that if they cannot understand books written for grown-ups, they should not talk about them. (laughs) Which is possibly one of the most magical things I have ever read. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. You know, we've talked about how there are famous people we'd like to meet in heaven, and then we realize that there are probably, for every one that we know of, there are 10,000 that are equally interesting, Mm -hmm. and we never heard of them. Mm -hmm. But there is a guy I'd like to meet, and I hope he's in heaven, and that's Mark Twain or (laughs) Samuel Clemens. Now, Samuel Clemens had written a a story that is somewhat less known uh, than, you know, Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer and the Leaping Frog of Calaveras County. If you hadn't noticed, I'm a Mark Twain fan. Mark Twain fan. But he wrote this story called Captain Stormfield's Visit to Heaven. And and it just, it's hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious. But it sort of tells you some things about Mark Twain. And I know he was very cynical about God and heaven and, Mm -hmm. you know, he couldn't see there was anything good about God because of all the evil that he had encountered in his life. And and it was evil where he was just afflicted by the tragic death of his brother Mm -hmm. and his his daughter and his wife and all this. He's just seen a lot. He made a lot of bad business decisions that cost him a lot of money and, and on and on it goes. But what's really amazing is that he still reveals this very keen interest in heaven. And I honestly think in some ways he may have been closer to the kingdom in some respects than even he would like for you to know because he obviously put a lot of thought into it. And and uh, this Captain Stormfield's trip to heaven is hilarious and there's a line in there where Captain Stormfield basically says... I decided to chase that comet all over the universe because the thought of playing harps and sitting on a cloud with a halo just sounded really boring to me, and I didn't want anything to do with Mm -hmm. it. And then while he's chasing the comet, he gets bored with that, and he goes to heaven, and he finds out that while he was chasing it, he actually got to the wrong heaven, you know, and uh, um, it was was, just very funny. Part of me would like to think that that he was coherent enough at the end of his life to know. So you mentioned the comet and I was sitting here mm-hmm. thinking like, if that's not just to me, evidence of the majesty of God, he was. So for those that don't know, he was like one of the kind of interesting facts about him is that he was born the night that. Yeah. The year ha- of, of Haley's comet, Haley's, yeah, Haley's, Haley's, comet. Haley's comet. Um, and I've heard both. I don't know. There's yeah, I don't know that there's what the right one is. But anyway, um, it only comes around every so many decades. Um, and he died the same day that it 
had come back around like well within and, the and same it, it actually appears for several yeah. days actually several weeks at a time um, but he just so in the season of Halley's Comet and I just he was born and, and I, in the next visit yeah. he died and this is the like it's a long span between visits like it's, it's like not 70 something yeah. years um, and I would like to think that he would see the majesty in that mm-hmm. because you know yes it's a scientific thing that it comes around every so often because of all, you know, sciencey stuff, physics and everything, but well, I think you know that people who are angry with God are talking to God. That's true. And I think that there is a certain uh prayer-like nature to crying out to God in your despair and your anger. Yeah, I mean, I would and think that being there angry There are lots and lots of hints that he must have talked to God frequently. Yeah, I would think being angry at God is way better than just ceasing to want anything to do with God. Now, all that being said, there's plenty of evidence that he was proud and a little full of himself, and that true. towards the end, that true, was true. all he had. He'd lost everything else that he loved, so he became his own biggest fan and and was really quick to promote himself in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Um but not unduly in the sense that he always had something witty to say. And so he would read the news and read several newspapers a day and he would look for things to comment on. And then he would send some funny comment to that paper um, just to get his name in print again, you know. So it was sort of pride, but it was also his gift, you know. Well, anyway, that's that's another I've, – I've really gone off on tangents in this episode. <laughs> and I apologize, but at the same time, to me, there's always a relevance. But mm-hmm. – well, we did the last of the questions, but what else do you have? You have highlights left? No, my last highlight was that perfect, Grown perfect run, like smackdown. Yeah. Well, in the spirit of Paul, the apostle, who says, when you were a kid, you ate kid food. And now that you're grown up, eat grown up food. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, basically, when you're a new Christian, you get certain passes because you're expected to to learn the richer things over time but at some point you have to say these are grown-up concepts stop trying to approach them in a childish way and I think adults who revert to childishness in certain respects are people who are afraid of the future or afraid of whatever it is and that brings out their childishness and so I have a tendency to think that when you you know, want to argue over these kinds of things is because you're afraid of the reality or you're afraid of what it might be saying about what's expected from you. So you may not be afraid of the thing, but you're afraid of what the truth would mean to you and how it would affect your life. And I think that's a more real thing in religion. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people find comfortable religion easier to take than radical Christianity because radical Christianity says, I might have to change in ways that I don't want to change. So I'd rather have a religion that makes me feel good about my life and where I'm going when I die mm-hmm. than a religion that causes me to devote myself entirely to Christ and not have one foot on the world and one toe just neatly tucked in the door to heaven just so that when it's time to go, I can push it open and mm-hmm. jump in at the last minute. Yeah. You know, and now, I didn't highlight this, but it is interesting because he he kind of makes a really excellent point at the end that um, 
like the harps and crowns and all of that that people mock might be evidence of their longing that they don't even realize because he says like what you just said about music a little bit ago that the harps probably get mentioned because music's the closest thing we have that seems to transcend Mm -hmm. our reality and he says you know like the crowns are emblematic of being united with god yeah and if people mention the gold he says well you know gold doesn't rust that's the timelessness like people mention those things they don't even realize that they're probably mentioning those because they have that desire that we all have that they just aren't recognizing and he says you know those they're symbols they're not to be taken literally because if we're taking things literally then we would also have to take literally that christ said to be like doves and that might mean we need to lay eggs which we probably don't <laughs> that is a good c.s Lewis he's just so funny. sad like and and honestly uh, uh, again maybe going off on a tangent but you know when i listen to people talk there's a lot of foolish things they say Mm -hmm. and I'm not just talking about in church I'm just talking about life in general in fact I'm really thinking back to those days when I wasn't a professional clergy person when I worked in an entirely different field and I was around a lot of blue-collar people a lot of working people and God love them I don't mean any disrespect but they had real simple answers for everything indulge the flesh because you know being a christian prude isn't isn't any fun at all right i'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints i'd you know uh i'd rather be in hell where all my friends are and and it's like these are foolish things to say yeah um not to say that christians don't say or or legalistic christians anyway don't say foolish things because they do the Mm -hmm. tennessee williams movie play you know that we watched i mean it's it's sort of expressing the difference between uh, these two people, and in the end, he finds a, a more authentic expression of religion, uh, of Christianity, Christianity, than even she had, and she becomes so disillusioned that she gives up her Christianity, yeah, um, and wants to indulge her flesh. And what's ironic is is that he's actually had to go to the depths in order to find true Christianity and she has to give up her legalistic holier than thou Christianity and indulge her flesh and presumably will eventually realize what the real Christianity is Mm -hmm. and so you know that's a hard road to travel and it's a dangerous road because you may be so given over to the flesh that you never come back. Yeah. But the reality is is that it's making the point that that uh, real Christianity isn't anything like this sort of legalistic, holier than thou, pious Christianity. You know, it's it's not about human rules and regulations. Um, it's about being altogether human mm-hmm. and altogether Christian. Yeah. Well, that's pretty good stuff, and I think we've had another good one here, Beth. I, uh, I think next week or next episode will be uh, episode uh, 22, and it'll be book 3, chapter 11 on faith. Mm-hmm. And you and I were talking about how we might be able to do faith in one episode. Because yeah, because there's, there's actually, two chapters. There's two faith chapters, but yeah. I think we, well, we went kind of long on this one, and I didn't think we would, so it's hard to tell. Yeah. But. We might be able to do it. And if you're really astute listeners, and all of our listeners are. (laughs) It's true. um, Because we've had all the indications of it. um, You may have noticed that we've been 
recording these way ahead of delivery mm-hmm. time uh, for us. Yeah. Because we've been really, you know, saddened by the fact that we get behind. And, yeah. And so what we've been doing is trying to have one already queued up and ready to download to you on Thursday evening. And then we're going to record one for the following Thursday mm-hmm. evening. So we're actually trying to uh, work ahead like that so that we can promise you that you're going to get something every week. Yeah. But don't let that stop you from commenting and, and sharing things that would be great to share on the podcast because when we get them we will definitely include them in whatever we're currently recording yeah our um, friend jenny's back and she's starting to write some good stuff she's got again, some just good like stuff she again. always does yep. she has a really good and, one about uh, the charity episode yep on there right now yeah and and you know so if you will visit the facebook group you get to see really wonderful uh, additional comments like that that are really good for for our thought mm-hmm. and uh, really help us in this whole criti- critical thinking journey. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so here's the standard end of the podcast shtick. <laughs> um, I hope you're going to church somewhere, and I hope that you're with real Christians trying to live under the authority of Christ. I hope you're going to a church where the Bible is taught by a pastor who is committed to Christ and lives in a way that shows that they're really serious about their relationship with Christ too. Um, I hope that if you are in the Jasper area, you'll come and see if that's what's going on at Shiloh. Mm-hmm. I think you will. And TGIW. Wednesday well, nights. Yeah, it's, but it's, by the time you hear this, it will have already happened That's okay. Once. We'll, be, we'll be getting started. And yeah, so. I hear that um, there's going to be a... Wednesday night offering, including that rabbi I sometimes disagree with. So Uh class could be real interesting. Well, it's me using his material. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, it'll be, you know, not so much him teaching, but myself. Right. But listen, visit the Shiloh website. It's all there. Links to all this information is there. Um, You know what? I'm at first I hadn't really wanted to do this because I was afraid that it would be unfair to those who are outside of our our community but i'll tell you what you ought to get the shiloh app even Mm -hmm. if you don't go to shiloh um and you can just go to the app store and to uh, just type in uh the search uh uh, shiloh jasper indiana It, it should come up and you'll see uh the shiloh logo which is on this podcast page you know you'll see that and uh, if you get that app, you can find out about all these things and you can get in touch with me and, and there's just a variety of things you can do. But if you don't do that, well, send us an email, give us a call, come by and see us, uh, visit the Facebook group. These are all things you can do. So um, final word is, is that if you want to get that app and you just want to click through a bunch of things, well, just go to shilohum.org. That's S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M.org. And all the links to get you to those places are there, and uh, including how to get the app and everything. So, so just start by visiting our webpage because we try to make that the best entry point that we can. For now, I want to thank you for listening. You honor Bethany and myself, and uh, we love you and we're praying for you. God bless you and bye.